Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club. We're running new online talks about topics like owls and cuckoos to enhance your birding skills. Learn more by following us on Facebook and on our website, OceanStateBirdClub.org. Good morning and welcome to our show, number 820. Sending best wishes to all friends and Talking Birds listeners in Texas as they continue to struggle with some really horrible winter conditions there. We'd like to invite listeners to visit our website and Facebook page. By the way, if you'd like to see one way to help folks there in that real humanitarian crisis. Meanwhile, some hardy volunteers in Texas are braving the cold and snow to rescue cold-stunned sea turtles. The rehab center in South Padre Island in Texas called Sea Turtle Inc. They reached out to ask for help with the challenge of keeping the turtles warm and alive. And by Thursday, they said they were at capacity for volunteers and have asked people to stay away so the staff can concentrate on treating the thousands of turtles that they've rescued. By the way, among the companies helping out in the endeavor is Elon Musk's SpaceX, the aerospace company which has a facility in nearby Brownsville, Texas. They sent a large commercial generator to keep the power going in the rehab center. Well, our friend McGregor is often out and about looking for birds down in Alabama these days, but in the audio postcard from her that we're about to hear, she has taken birding indoors. Let's give her a listen. I'm standing in my bathroom and the sound you can hear that's not me is European starlings that are nesting in our fan in the bathroom. We've seen them coming and going in and out of the side of the house, the little vent thingy, and there's like poop on the wall so we knew that they were doing something what else would they be doing except for nesting right Uh, and my husband just alerted me to the fact that if we stand directly underneath the vent inside the bathroom uh, we can hear the parents talking to the nestlings I've gone quiet now but it was pretty bizarre so I guess uh, although they are there they are. Not native. Uh, I guess you can find birds at home, literally at home. <laughs> All right. See ya. That's our Freya McGregor proving that you can find birds wherever you go. That's our mystery bird, and here's a preview here of the mystery bird contest. 
We did this contest every week on the show, and we'll be doing the actual thing in just a few minutes, but this is a little preview here of our Mystery Bird Contest presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. Our mystery bird is a dabbler, not a diver, with a long slender neck and a pointed tail that's exceptionally long in males. Those males have a white chest, a white stripe up the back of the neck, and a dark reddish-brown head. The female is lighter overall with a cream-colored dark, or a cream-colored crown and face. Our bird breeds all across Canada and Alaska in some of the U.S., Midwest, and Western states and winters along the Atlantic and Pacific coasts. That's a mystery bird in the preview here in a beautiful Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder with a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage is the prize on our mystery bird contest this morning. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our TalkingBirds.com website and Facebook page. Romance is in the air for ravens, birds that mate for life. They live sometimes at, what, 40 years. We have that story from Colorado's Vail Daily Newspaper. An endangered bird species is evolving rapidly to keep up with invasive Pray. We have that story from University of Florida News. And we have FastCompany.com's take on why cities should be designed for birds. Those are some of the stories on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page right now. And don't forget, if you'd like to chat with or share photos and videos and observations with other Talking Birds listeners... Please check out our now 250-member strong Talkin' Birds flock. And you can find that on Facebook. We also have a blog this week from our Debbie Bleacher. It's the Debbie's blog. Here's what it's about. There are more than 10,000 bird species on Earth. And now scientists involved with the Bird 10,000 Genomes Project are beginning to understand how such amazing variety evolved. Debbie tells us more about it and links us to full details in her Debbie's blog, now available under the Read tab at TalkingBirds.com. A royal salute to some more Talking Birds ambassadors helping us uh, do what we're trying to do here, which is just to get out the word about birds and conservation. And thank you to Zeke S. from Costa Mesa, California, they're in Orange County. Thank you so much, Zeke. And thank you to Megan M. from Stamford, Connecticut. I think about halfway between New Haven and New York. And thank you so much, Megan. And we send out a call to all Talking Birds listeners to consider joining Megan and Zeke and our other ambassadors in helping us spread the word about birds and conservation. We'll send you some little cards for you to hand out at your leisure to friends and neighbors and fellow birders or sending them to them. You can join up. Just go to the Get Involved tab at the top of our homepage there at TalkingBirds.com. So to come on our show today, we'll meet Karina Newsom, who'll tell us about her recently completed master's degree project studying the state of seaside sparrows. 
on the coast there in Georgia. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment about strange going-ons at a listener's birdbath. And up next, we're taking last week's mystery bird and learning a bit more about it by delving into the Talking Birds archive and making it this week's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine for more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Hey, Eddie, who's that over there? That's not the... The ducktail demon? Yeah. No. Uh, is it... Uh... The crested crusher? Yeah. No. Well, who is it then? That, that, my friend, is the hooded maganza. Yes, the hooded merganser. Not so scary, really, unless you're a small fish. It's a spectacular, beautiful bird, very distinctive, with that big white fan-shaped crest, lined in black, kind of like a buffalo head, but more dramatic looking, especially with that white chest and bold black stripes on the chest and rust-colored sides. The female's a little smaller and grayish-brown with a smaller crest. The hooded merganser is a small to medium-sized duck which nests in tree holes. It is often seen in shallow water, sometimes in the company of the spectacular wood duck. And here's something pretty cool. The hooded merganser can actually change the refractive properties of its eyes to allow it to see better as it finds its prey by sight underwater. And like an alligator, it has transparent third eyelids, believed to offer protection like a pair of goggles as it swims underwater. The hooded merganser is a quiet bird, except during courtship, when the male makes this sound. The hooded merganser, our featured feathered friend, you're on Talking Birds. Welcome again to our show, number 820. And if you haven't checked out our website, we hope you don't mind us mentioning it again. It's TalkingBirds.com, and it's also a nice portal to our Facebook and uh, Instagram pages as well. So hope you'll check it out there. Well, we just heard about birds preying upon fish. Sometimes, though, it can be just the opposite, as we're about to find out, as we welcome Corina Newsom. She's an ornithologist and science communicator. She was a co-organizer of Black Birders Week, and she's the community engagement manager for Georgia Audubon. She's also completing a master's program at Georgia Southern University. And she's with us this morning to tell us about some of the discoveries she's made, including some surprising ones during her research on seaside sparrows. Good morning, Corina. Hi, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you're very welcome. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Seaside sparrows, they've adapted to life in the salt marsh environment. Rising sea levels are a well-known threat to their survival uh, because their nests are so close to the water. But you've kind of homed in on another threat to the birds as the focus of your research, right? That's right, yeah. My research focuses on nest predation, which may at first sound very unrelated to anything uh, uh, connected to climate change, but these birds in particular, as you said, because they nest so close to the water right on the coast in the tidal salt marshes, if they place their nests in the grass too low to the ground, they risk being flooded, and their behavioral response to being flooded, um, because if they lose enough 
their offspring to uh, to a flooding event. They'll build another nest right away, but they'll build it higher off the ground, which in theory is a really good idea. But the problem is that the higher off the ground a nest is, the more exposed to predation that nest is. So they're caught really between a rock and a hard place when it comes to finding the perfect location, mm. the perfect height off the ground for yeah. building their nest. Yeah, seaside sparrow catch 22 there, kind of. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember from, from your research, raccoons, American mink, rice rats are kind of the main land predators. But as That's we allude... Right. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why kind of understanding what the predators are and kind of where predation is happening is for the purpose of future wildlife management. So hopefully uh, wildlife managers can do something to address the the increasing narrow line that two-sized sparrows have to tow to successfully nest. Mm-hmm. So when they build those nests again higher up, is it mostly a visibility factor? Is that why they become more, more uh, vulnerable to those land-based predators? That's what we think. We think that um, the lower a nest is to the ground, the much more concealed it is by the surrounding marsh grass, but possibly higher off the ground would reveal its location a little more easily. Mm-hmm. So we've teased this idea about birds preying on fish and maybe the tables turning, and you discovered something where those tables were turned a little bit by a little fish called the mummy chog. That's right. Um, during my data collection um, in my first field season in 2019 out in the salt marsh, um, firstly, in order to know when nest predation is happening, one of the mechanisms I use is to put video cameras on the nest. And so um, there was one particular day where I had a, a video camera on a nest where one of three eggs had hatched that day. Um, and so I got my video camera footage back and I was looking through this nest uh, experience out in the marsh essentially and one night there was a flooding event and uh, I was watching the, the footage and the water essentially entered the nest and just kept rising it was a very high tide um, that evening and so while I was watching this video where my heart was, was you know saddened to see a, a brand new chick experiencing nest flooding like that um, I was surprised to see that it was still alive even though it was only hours old it was still alive floating on the surface of the water um, and then the most unexpected thing happened, a mummy chog uh, that was swimming in the surrounding water leapt into the nest mm. from that water. Um, and it was, I, I remember just being, I could not believe what I saw. I, I, I like was shaking, I was sweating, I was texting everybody. Mm. And uh, it actually hung out in the nest for a few minutes, not doing anything, it just sat there. Um, and then all of a sudden it, it looks up at the chick that's floating on the surface of the water and within moments it just drags it down and starts thrashing it around mm. in its mouth to, to get little pieces of, uh, of birds um, as a meal. So these birds are being preyed upon by all these uh, mammals and now fish and uh, we, we, we can't only blame those groups either but uh, a bird species involved too, right? That's right. So um, there have been some records of birds like uh, grackles and blackbirds um, preying upon seaside brown nests. I actually never caught any of footage of that happening, but a surprising bird predator emerged also because I was, you know, just watching the, the goings-on um, in the seaside brown nest, and marsh wrens, Worthington's marsh wrens, which are um, about half the size of a seaside sparrow, very small, but full of more than enough personality, um, I caught them on 
I want to say three occasions on video, but I saw many, uh, you know, rec- you know, essentially signs that this is ha- this had happened throughout the marsh over the course of my field season. These birds, little birds, would wait until a mother seaside sparrow was, you know, off of the nest, right? Took a break incubating maybe to get some food. The marsh wren would fly to the nest and poke holes in all of the eggs and then fly away. That's it. Mm. There were a couple of instances when the marsh wren would either um, take a sip of the yolk, thus making it a predator, right? So it would poke holes and then and it just looked like it was thinking, oh, this is pretty good. And it mm. just, you know, went on to take a couple of uh, drinks of the yolk in the, in the egg. And there were a couple of times even when this, the marsh wren would throw the egg out of the nest after mm. poking holes. Um, their friends in general have been known to be extremely territorial birds, killing the eggs and offspring of their own species, of other bird species. So this behavior was surprising to sketch on camera, but in the context of friend behavior altogether, made a lot of sense. People want to know, by the way, or maybe ask, why don't they just nest somewhere else? But they'd have to go through some extremely fast evolutionary changes, right, to be able to do that. That's right. Uh, seaside sparrows are very specifically adapted for life in the salt marsh. They are salt marsh endemic, which means they're found in no other kind of ecosystem um, in their their entire range. And um, because they have, you know, a morphology that allows them to survive flooding events and drink salt water and behavior that is specifically um, served to uh, aid in their survival in a tidal environment, if they were to uh, quickly move to a different ecosystem, right? Say a non-tidal wetland or, you know, non-salt marsh or forest or something like that where you might find other kinds of sparrows, they wouldn't be able to survive because they lack the necessary adaptations. And yeah, in order to somehow uh, evolve the, the morphology and the behavior to survive in a different ecosystem, they would have to undergo some major evolution, which there is not really enough time to um, do in the context of how quickly climate change is progressing a big threat to their current ecosystem mm-hmm. so what do you see as the future for seaside sparrows with all these threats is there is there some hope yeah it is easy to look at the again the razor thin line that they have to walk in order to survive and to successfully reproduce but yes i would say that there is hope um there are several management strategies that um can address the issues they're facing so one issue is that sea level rise is going to you know swallow up the marsh and eliminate the habitat itself right um there have been some management strategies outside of the context of seaside sparrows but helping marshes what's called migrate so doing things like cutting down upland trees a little bit to make it a quicker process for the salt water to convert forest to marshland and then therefore maintain the space needed for the marsh dwelling species but when it comes to predation right one side of that two-sided uh opposition of threats that are you know per- can oftentimes prevent the success of seaside sparrow nesting. Um, wildlife managers have used uh, predator exclusion and predator management as a way to help birds that are nesting survive across different species, across different ecosystems. And so it's possible that that might be a solution for seaside sparrows as well, especially as their habitat becomes smaller. Um, so my research looking at the threat of nest predation, particularly as it pertains again to mammals, has shown that as you get closer to roadways and closer to tidal rivers, the threat of nest predation increases. Um, there's a lot more predator activity closer to roads and the edges of uh, tidal rivers. And so with that information, wildlife managers would be able to kind of zero in on regions of the marsh where seaside sparrows are nesting 
at those kinds of locations, especially ones close to roads, because um, those are essentially like funnels for, for mammalian predators right into the marsh, especially when it's attached to a city environment. Mm-hmm. So um, there is hope for both predator management and management of the ecosystem in the face of a very rapidly changing environment. Karina mm-hmm. Newsom is a master's degree student at the Hunter Lab at Georgia Southern University and community engagement manager for Georgia Audubon. And you can follow her on Instagram at hood double underscore naturalist and on Twitter at hood single underscore naturalist. Karina, thank you for your great work and thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you so much, Ray. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Karina Newsom. And coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to cross a few species off your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you want to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. It's a dabbler, not a diver with a long slender neck and a pointed tail that's exceptionally long in males. Those males have a white chest, a white stripe up the back of the neck, and a dark reddish-brown head. The female is lighter overall with a cream-colored crown and face. Our bird breeds all across Canada and Alaska and some of the U.S. Midwest and Western states and winters along the Atlantic and Pacific coasts and through the southern states. It's found in various shallow-water habitats where it feeds on things like grain and seeds and aquatic insects. That's our mystery bird. The prize this morning is a beauty. It's the Droll Yankees original, iconic A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts. The Droll Yankee says squirrels can't chew, and they don't just say that. They back it up with a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. So prizes and clues in the sound of our mystery bird, and here's the important phone number, and we urge you to call us as soon as you can, so we'll have time for our contest. That would be 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. And we'll have a winner regardless of whether this is an exactly correct guess, thanks to a drawing. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor, let's ask Mike live in just one minute. beauty Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautyobooks.com 
My name is John Ebert, and I'm calling from Columbia, South Carolina. What made me become a Talking Birds ambassador is I love the show. If I have a message for any Talking Birds listeners, it's become an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Well, we got a we got a, a an email from a, a listener in West Greenwich, Rhode Island, uh, about feeding the birds in her backyard, which she says she's been doing for a number of years. And she had a question about something going on there, and we tried to think who might answer that question. And uh, uh, hey, I'll do it. Oh, all right. Well, okay. Uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess we'll have Mike O'Connor answer that question. <coughs> I put my hand up. Nobody called on me, so. I- <laughs> <laughs> You've been having that problem since third grade, I think. <laughs> hey, by the way, I got your joke right. That was pretty good. Which joke was that? Uh, about Freya um, having uh, seen birds in a bathroom, and you can find birds wherever you go. Nice one. Yeah, there's the rim shot delayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. anyway, Anna Therese says she's been seeing a problem with a robin at her heated bird bath. They're drinking the water, and she said, I noticed a brownish, murky substance in the water. I quickly emptied it and cleaned it out and put fresh water in the bowl, but she also noticed some very dark droppings in the snow. This seems to be kind of a trend on our program here this morning. But um, <laughs> anyway, she's wondering what's going on. Is this Robin ill, or what do you, th- what do you think? Uh, no, it's the season. First of all, good for her. Good for you, uh, Anna Therese, for... Um Keeping an eye on your bird bath. A lot of people, first of all, don't have bird baths in the winter when birds are desperate for water. And secondly, they, if they do, they just don't pay attention to them. So you notice that they need to make, be maintained. So good for you. Um, robins, this time of year, they switch from worms to berries. They eat a lot of berries. Berries like uh, like geese eating grass. It passes through the birds quickly because of the seeds. Seeds take up uh, all the berries have seeds in them which is the plant's idea. The, the, the plant puts out the berries, the birds eat the berries, and then fly away and then disperse the seeds, which helps the, the plant to, to get more habitat. But the seeds take up a lot of room inside the bird's digestive system, and the, so the, the birds pass those things quickly. Once they get the flesh off there and that's dissolved, the birds they either poop it out which happens a lot, or if it's a large seed, they, they regurgitate it and they pop it out through, just like they spit it out. And my bird bath is full of seeds right now or the ground around it. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> she had one robin. I had like 30 the other day, and when they left, it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. There was just <laughs> stuff everywhere. And it's just the birds drinking the water. They drink the water a lot because some of the uh, fruit is fermented right now. And so that helps dilute the toxins. But mostly they're just taking a little bit of flesh off there and digesting that. And then then they regurgitate the seeds or they they poop them out the other end, depending on where they're going. But that's what's going on right now with with the berries. The berries keep the birds alive in the winter. And it's not just robins. It's bluebirds or mockingbirds or whatever. Been good for you for keeping your bird bath nice and clean. All right. That's Mike O'Connor uh, watching birds wherever they go. Uh, here in Talking Birds. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Talk to you next week, Greg. All right. Mike O'Connor at the famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. And we're back to the Mystery Bird Contest without much time left to go on our show. Let's see if we can uh, get a, an answer to 
The identity of our mystery bird, Russ, is somewhere in northern Virginia. Good morning, Russ. Morning, Ray. How you doing? I'm doing well. How's the weather down there these days? I got a little bit of uh, snow and sleet still remaining on the uh, hillside here. Uh-huh. All right. Not bad, though. And what do you think our mystery bird is, Russ? I'm going to have to go with the northern pintail. Why not? Because that's what it is. Yeah. Northern pintail. <laughs> exactly right. Nice job, Russ. If you'll stay on the line, Jesse will get some info from you, and we'll send you those beautiful prizes. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Russ. Northern Pintail, our mystery bird. Before we go, there have been some disturbing developments involving allegations of harmful behavior by some popular figures in the birding community. We've put up a post with some comments about the situation and a link to the details on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook and Twitter pages if you'd like to check on that if you haven't heard about this situation. Okay, today's show is over, so we are off to work on the next one. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Frey McGregor, our assistant, Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club. We're running new online talks about topics like owls and cuckoos to enhance your birding skills. Learn more by following us on Facebook and on our website, oceanstatebirdclub.org.